book of Philippians. I am so glad you are here, my brother Chad. Uh, this is a great word that not only that he needs right now, but that we all need. And that, that is this, that the work that God began in you, he will do the completion of it to the day of Jesus Christ. We don't have to work ourselves to death trying to do the big thing or be the significant Christian. What the Lord wants is for us, Linda, to submit to him, to find ourselves in his will. And then the desires of our heart will become what he wants for us to be doing. It's really that, that sweet. And our sanctification, which is a big word that we're going to talk about, comes about through grace the same way that our justification. That means when we were made right before the Lord. And so this is a wonderful thing. Last week, and there's the key scripture today, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. Last week, we listened to Pastor Kevin Broyhill from Calvary Baptist in King, North Carolina. Wasn't that great? And Pastor Kevin taught us that happiness and that joy are two very, very different things, all right? Joy is not the absence of trouble, but it's the presence of Jesus. That is why we are told, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I dove into some of this this week, and I thought about what Kevin had said. And one thing he said is that a gloomy Christian is an oxymoron. Y'all know what that means? I'm not calling anybody an oxymoron or a moron. What I'm saying is, is that those are a contradiction in terms. A Christian who is a spirit-led believer is not going to be gloomy because they know that the Lord is sovereign in their life. He is sovereign in the circumstances and the events that surround them. They don't have to get down by that. I talked a little bit about how on Wednesday night, it was funny to me, I grew up in a denominational school. I won't name any Greg Carter because uh, Gre Greg grew up in that denomination. And I saw these priests walking around with these big black robes and gosh, they looked anything but joyful. You know, I, I remember looking at him thinking, someone died and that guy's here to bury him. I mean, they looked like undertakers, you know, uh, I guess not to poke fun at them, but, but I don't know. It just seems like they look more like dismal behavior, you know, instead of a joyful heart. Uh, Nehemiah said it well to believers. He said, do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I have to remember sometimes, brother, that it's not my strength that creates the joy. It is not circumstances that change the joy. It's not how much I can read my Bible that can make me joyful. It is the joy of the Lord that is my strength. Amen. That should be a giant amen there, y'all. Happiness revolves around things that happen. Look how the names are the same happenstance. That's luck. It's fortune. They use all these weird words. That's just things that happen to happen to you, right? Happiness is a flake, a, 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 a fluke. I'm sorry, fate, a chance. It's a flake, right? A chance or a coincidence. And I'm reminded that in the Hebrew scripture, there is no word, I don't think, in the Hebrew language, in biblical Hebrew for coincidence. God knows everything that's going to happen to us before it ever happens. He's never taken by surprise. Paul tells us that our joy is not a matter of chance, fortune, luck, or fate. Our joy is a matter of Jesus. Our joy is a matter of being in such a relationship with him, Don, that I know that I know that he knows all that I need to know. Glory. You know, glory. Because I don't know much. And he takes care of those details that I can't take care of in my heart and my soul. We saw the transformation of Paul to joy. 
Paul went from being this religious sinner, this hostile person, this persecutor of Christians. It's, we are told even at the stoning of Stephen that after they had stoned Stephen, they came and they laid their robes at Paul's feet, I guess looking for his approval. This was an unhappy guy, all right, hell-bent on wiping out those first Jewish believers in Jesus. And he went from that into Paul the apostle, who is the apostle to the Gentiles. And looking around here, I don't see any Jewish people in here. He is our apostle, you guys. If he had not ended up going where I'm going to show you that he went, to Philippi, and meeting a Gentile woman who was the first European convert, then perhaps we wouldn't even been believers in Jesus. And it's just so interesting. We looked at it on uh, Wednesday that he went from misery and hostility to joy. When he met the Lord on the road to Damascus, he was changed forever. And God put a seed of joy in him that was probably at that point the size of an okra seed. I can't think of anything smaller right now that we can relate to. And that thing grew into an, or a grape seed. Let's do it better. And it grew into an entire vineyard of joy. Absolutely into a vineyard. It totally changed his life. And the book of Philippians is all about joy. I want to talk about the background to how he ended up in Philippi. You see Philippi's there. This is Greece. This is Macedonia. Athens would be down here. This is modern-day Turkey. So when Paul had his road to Damascus experience, he met the Lord face-to-face. -face. And Jesus said, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul was just miraculously converted. He was never the same. He then went into the, it says in, I think, Saudi Arabia for 10 years where the Lord took him to seminary, taught him all kinds of things, including the things that he'll recite that perhaps Larry and Michael will recite this morning as they take us through what we call communion or the Lord's Supper that was instituted by the Lord there on the night that he was betrayed, but he taught it all to Paul, and we read it in the book of 1 Corinthians. Anyway, he ended up settling some churches here in what we call Asia Minor or Turkey. We have Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. This is Antioch of Syria. This is where Christians where believers were first called Christians. So when he was in these little towns, he came across a guy named Timothy. We studied about Timothy on Wednesday. Timothy was a guy that was half Jew. His mom was Jewish, a Jewish believer, along with his grandma. And his dad was a Greek. We don't know that his dad was even a believer, but he was kind of a half-breed at that time. They went to the synagogues preaching, so Paul took Timothy and the Scripture tells us that he had him circumcised, not because it was needed to make him righteous or anything, so that there would be no hindrance to them going in and ministering to the Jews that were in the synagogues, okay? He ended up, and it, he said in Acts 16, which we read in its entirety on Wednesday, he says, twice I tried to go here. He says, twice I tried, he said, but the Holy Spirit prohibited me from going. And I think this was a great lesson for Winnie and Lorenzo, who are probably going to be listening to this this morning on their way to Arizona, that sometimes we just are certain that God has a certain direction for us to go. But it's like walls go up. Things get stopped. We're not able to do it. And as believers, at some point we go, wow, you know what? I think God doesn't want me going there. Even though it looks like the kind of place you need to go to do something for the Lord and in His service. So twice the Holy Spirit prohibited him. It tells us he then went over to Troas, which is, I think, the ancient city of Troy. 
And then he took a ship over here to Neapolis, which just means new town, new city. And he ends up in this little place called Philippi. Wednesday, I told you guys, Philippi was where Alexander the Great's family was from. His dad was Philip of Macedon, okay? And they lived in this place called Philippi. So Paul ends up going to Philippi. There's no, no one to speak to there. And he comes, he's out there in this kind of country place. This is y'all's beloved pastor up there, right where Lydia came to know Jesus. Paul came to this place right here. There was a woman there that was a merchant of purple, and we talked about what that meant on Wednesday. And she heard him, and it says that her heart was just struck by what she heard. She accepted the Lord, and right then and there, Paul and Timothy and Silas baptized her. Baptized her right here where I'm standing. There's a rushing river that comes through there. And from that woman being converted and others that were converted, we're going to see that Paul is going to be writing them 12 years later when we begin in Philippians 1 here in a second. I just had to give you a little bit of background. And we're going to see a very, very well-developed church, and we're going to talk about deacons. We're going to talk about what it means to be a pastor. We're going to talk about what it is to be a saint, Kathy Adamo. I always pick on Kathy. And we're going to see that there's a totally fully developed church when Paul's writing them 12 years later. The Philippians were a great fruit of Paul's ministry. And the book of Philippians is a love letter to them. And not only that, it's a letter of joy, which has taken me through so many heartaches in my life. It's been the thing that helped me to hang on. When I was in the height of certain depressing times in my life, I remembered Paul's words, rejoice evermore. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. And, the, and, and uh, just on and on, all of the things that I've read in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So there is where Lydia was done. Here are some of the favorites that we get out of this book. He who began a good work in you today, we're going to look at that now this morning, he is the one that will perfect it until the day of Jesus. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then there's a very, very interesting passage that we've discussed in our men's group that in Greek is called the kenosis passage. It's the oldest hymn in the entire Bible, the oldest hymn in the Christian faith. We know that from extra biblical writings. Early Christians would write about how Jesus emptied himself. That's what kenosis means and humbled himself to come in the form of a man. That will be in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. So if you would, please stand with me, and let's read our passage for this morning. I know I'm giving a lot of background, but it was needed. Together, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray you'll bless the reading of this word. Lord, let not my words get in the way with what you would whisper to each of our hearts, because it's in Jesus' precious and holy name I pray. Amen. 
Y'all can be seated. He starts off saying, bond servants of Jesus Christ. You know, so we think about it. We talked a little bit, I think, on Wednesday about what is a bond servant? You know, we think of servants and slaves and such just from our American experience. But a bond servant, hearken back to Exodus 21.6 that I looked up again this morning in the wee hours of dawn, and I went to look at it and read it again, and it said, when a servant comes to love his master so much, that's what it says in Exodus, that he wants to serve him all of the days of his life. They had this weird ceremony where the servant would lay his ear down, and the master would pierce it with it like an earring, put it all through it. And that is what Paul and Timothy are saying that they are. They are bond servants of Jesus. They have fallen so in love with their master, they want to serve him all the days of their life. Isn't that a neat picture? He said, and it's doulos in Greek, referring back to that law, and it's exactly what Timothy and Paul had done. They were lifelong servants of Jesus. Then he addresses the saints. So, Kathy Adama, what is a saint? All of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You know, St. Patrick was a saint because he had put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. All right? And all these other people we call saints. But guess what, guys? We're saints of God. You and I are saints of God because God's Word tells us that we are what's called positionally righteous. We are given, we are given a scripture that says that he who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. There is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. There is no reason to condemn ourselves or beat up on ourselves. We stand righteous before the Father, cleansed in the blood of Jesus. Can I get an amen from somebody? So they are all hagios. You've heard of the hagios Sophia. All right, that means Saint Sophia. It's over there in Istanbul today. I, I read last week they turned it back into a mosque. Isn't that amazing? But remember, it's just a building. The real saints just occupied that building for a while. And lastly, he talks, he says, and there in that church, he says, I address the bishops. I wanted to talk about this a second because it's a good chance to talk about church structure a little bit. The Bible doesn't give us exact ways that church governance should be set up. We have certain principles, and I know this may bore some, but I think it's important a bishop, we learn from 1 Peter 5, 1 through 2, is not a guy running around with a pointy hat. You know, unfortunately, that word was translated as bishop when the King James translators translated the Bible. It would have been so much better if they had just said overseer. And they're the people that see over what's going on here. Now, I, as a pastor, have three functions. One is a pastor. The pastor is when I come and I put my arms around you and I cry with you or maybe I direct you, Devin, and I tell you, don't do this or yes, do that or let's pray about this. Sorry, not picking on Devin, but I think of him. Uh, and then the other function is that I am an elder in the faith. In 1 Peter, it tells us that these are all the functions of one person, okay? Michael is a pastor, okay? That means he's an elder in the faith. He's a shepherd to some, and he's an overseer of certain things, and that's what a pastor does. That's who he is. He has these functions, okay? That's what you are, Larry. You have these three functions. That is our function in this church. We are overseers. 
Larry and I like to oversee everything that's taught here. We want to know if a book study is being done. We want to know if we feel like the theology is good for this body of believers. You follow me? We oversee what we preach about because our job is to preach the Word and to make sure you guys are, are taught the Word of God. So we're presbyteros, elders. That's where the word Presbyterian came from. Poeman is a shepherd. And episcopos, where we get the word the Episcopal Church, okay? That means they, it's a bishop church. But you could say that I'm a bishop, I'm a overseer, I'm an elder, okay? So that's how we look at it anyway uh, at these when we take a look at 1 Peter 5, 1 through 2. Then we talk about diaconos. We've got three diaconos here, okay, that have been called, that have been ordained and called by this body. So what is the real, what is the real function that Scott and that Paul and that Jimmy are supposed to be doing? Is a deacon a title of respect? It's kind of respectful, okay? It's, it's, it, it's, it's, it's uh, affirming what God called them to do. And what they are called to do is they are functional servants who are doers. If, if you look up functional servant who's a doer in the dictionary, you'll probably go up there and see a guy that looks kind of like Scott Brown or, or Jimmy or, or Paul if that's what they're doing, okay? And that's what they're supposed to be doing. Paul came to me. We need inserts. We need people to know that they're welcome. I said, Paul, take care of it. He went and took care of it. Bought the paper slicer, did all the stuff, prints them. I don't know. By magic, they end up there in the bulletin every week. That is the function of a deacon, okay? Deacon's not a spiritual elder in the church, but they have to be a spiritually mature person. They have to be trustworthy. I wrote these down. Qualified, spiritually mature, tested, and a spirit-led believer. That's a requirement. And not only that, their wives have to be reverent, not slanders, temperate, faithful in all things. Lord, help us if we ever call a deacon whose wife is not temperate and does all this other stuff. So y'all kind of come as a package. It's a husband-wife package. You follow me? Uh, what I wanted to say in here is they are called to have a character, a Christ-like character, because it inhibits them from self-interest and self-dealing. Do y'all know what that means? Running off with stuff. It would be a great temptation, or it could be to someone who had who handled the assets of the church to think, well, you know what? I kind of need a new parking lot at my house too. So while you're building the one out here, go over there and make me a little parking lot or those kinds of things. So God calls mature believers who are not swayed by those kinds of temptations. Y'all follow me? And praise God, that's what we have here, and I'm grateful for that. Then he goes on in verse 2, and Paul says, Grace and peace to you all in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think Larry was the first one, Pastor Larry, that showed me that order is important to the Lord, the order of words, the way they were written, the way the Holy Spirit inspired them. Grace is first because unless you know the grace of the Lord, you'll never know the peace of the Lord. You've got to know God's grace to really be at peace. You don't go muster up peace and then somehow figure out grace. You have this grace that affects the way you treat the world around you. It's the way you look at yourself. It's the way you look at your circumstances. And that is what brings about the peace that you, you want. I said, when you know the role of the grace of God in your salvation, as well in your process of sanctification, you're at ease. And that's where I'm going to get to the heart of the matter today in this message. Many, many Christians 
are plagued with thinking they're not doing enough. I'm not praying enough. I don't read my Bible enough. I'm not doing my laundry list enough. I'm not checking off the things that I need to be doing to be a good Christian. Can anybody in here relate to that? Right? Okay, let's be honest. This is the get real session. It's, It's get real. And the fact of the matter is, is you are not called to check off a laundry list of stuff. That is not what will bring about your sanctification. What do I mean by sanctification? First was your justification. I just told you that already. You came to a saving knowledge of the Lord. You were made righteous before God. You stand righteous before the Father, but you still deal with this thing called the flesh that's within you. And that flesh is at war with the things of the Spirit. Sanctification occurs, Don, when we submit our spirit to the Holy Spirit. We submit ourselves to Him and let Him do a work in us and through us. He's got to do an inside work on us before we have any kind of outward results, right? And uh, when you know that, you're then at peace. And then he goes on and he says that in this verses 3, 4, and 5, that you and I have a fellowship. It's kind of like we are joint in joint ventures with God. I had a rabbi one time tell me when I went to see him, and I said, I'm not enjoying law very much. He said, just imagine yourself in partnership with God to get chaos out of people's life. That really helped me. It really did to see significance in going each day to the to office to be a, an attorney that wasn't always very enjoyable, okay? So we are, in, we are in partnership with God to bring about reconciliation. That is our ministry. Our ministry is to share the gospel with others. You have fruit. Uh, Cassandra's led people to the Lord sitting in a carriage, okay? Some of y'all have led them to the Lord building fences. Okay, you are in partnership with the Lord and with us. That's what that covenant's about. We're in a joint venture together, Mike. You and I are now partners. We're partners in this thing called Union Grove Baptist Church of Whitehall. You know, that's what we are. And so he's, he's saying to that fellowship, we have a fellowship together in the gospel. And each of us does our part. We do not all have the same role in this place. I've got a role. You've got a role this morning. You have a very encouraging role, Tyler. When you come as a young person excited about what we're studying, that excites me. I don't know if you feel the same way, Larry and Michael, but just having him there, having the interest there, okay? It's wonderful. That's part of what you do. Some folks, the best thing you can do is just show up so there will be somebody here. You know, I used to kind of laugh at people and say, well, I just, I'm attending faithfully. You know what? Some people are called just to attend faithfully and be part of the body that holds the whole thing together. We all have different functions, okay? Now, then Paul says that he has begun this work in us, but he is not finished. He began the work in you, my friend. He's not finished. He's going to bring it about. You don't have to do enough Bible studies in the morning, you don't have to read enough of the Bible, you don't have to pray enough, you don't have to gather enough people together. He is going to do this work in and through you. Glory to God. It's not a checklist that I've got to check off to make sure I'm getting all my T's crossed and all my I's dotted. Thank God that when I go out and I feed my horses in the morning, I can look at him and I can go, God, you created this beautiful creature. And it comes up to me and nuzzles to me. And it's like an act of worship going on. Guys, I'm not kidding. 
Some of you have never experienced what I have on the back of a zero-turn John Deere lawnmower. I can tell you this, in all the years that I've had that, it's only been mowed by someone else one other time. Aaron, that was you yesterday or, or Friday. Because I covet that time with the Lord. Did you do it too? Uh-oh, it's been twice and I have a bad memory. <laughs> anyway, that's not much over 10 years or whatever I've had that thing. Those are the times of worship, guys, that are the sweetest. That's when the big stuff happens, Chad. It's the big stuff happens when you least expect it. If you go chasing joy, you'll never find it. But when you chase Jesus, joy comes with it. I should repeat that over and over. When you chase after Jesus, the joy follows it. And you stop beating up on yourself and, and thinking how terrible and crummy and horrible you are because the fact of the matter is you're looking at an unfinished work when you look in the mirror. I'm looking at an unfinished work, and it's getting older every day. <laughs> He is not done with me either. Now, we have a prayer partner, Russell Cushman. Some of y'all know Russell. So I wrote Russell. I said, Russell, I want to get something from a blank canvas to how you think out a picture, and I want to look at some stages. This is very cool. Yeah, this is a surprise to everybody. Russell will be here Tuesday at Men's Group, incidentally. So God starts with a blank canvas when you were saved. Before that, the canvas isn't even there. You're just off over there somewhere, and you're not even made into a canvas yet. But when you come to the Lord, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And God starts to sketch on that canvas and sketches out exactly who he wants you to be. He's sketching out his will for your life. There's a little picture of the puppy dog right there. There's a horsey and a dog. I thought, man, I need one of my Bridgie and one of Easy right there. I, I need to order that thing up. But anyway, so God sketches on your canvas. He has ideas about how you're going to be, and the Holy Spirit helps you to know how to begin to fill that in with beautiful color and with beautiful hue and beautiful design. And the colors are still coming together. That almost looks like a photograph, doesn't it? And Russell works at that, and he works at that, and he works at that, starting with that blank canvas with just an idea, and he ends up with a masterpiece. That's the finished masterpiece, and that is you. You and 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 you, all of yous, you're a masterpiece in the making. That is called the glorification. So we have sanctification. Our salvation is kind of a three-part deal going on. You're sanctified by the blood of Jesus, okay? I mean, I'm sorry. You're justified by the blood of Jesus, thank you. You're sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit, Kristen, in and through you throughout your life. And then you will be glorified when you're before the Lord and no longer are you even exposed to sin. That's really what, to me, glorification is. None of the ugliness that this world has. My verse for justification this morning is, is that he, this is my paraphrase, he that knew no sin was made sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You became the righteousness of God. You did and you did and you did when you first believed. When you first believed you were dead and you became alive. You had the Holy Spirit of God breathed on you or poured on you or out on you. I don't know how it got there, but it came. Okay, and it went, as I say, from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, and you'll never have more of the Holy Spirit than you do that moment. What will happen is the Holy Spirit wants more of you. And so little my little, we're going to replace you 
with Holy Spirit. And then you're going to become the masterpiece that you were meant to be. And God is going to do it all. All he needs is a submissive heart in the morning that says, Lord, open the door of my day. Open the windows. Open the path, Lord. Let me today, let not my agenda get in the way of yours. And, 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 you, and I always start by asking God to forgive me of my sins. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wait a minute, Pastor. I thought I was already forgiven of all my sins. You, are, you were, they were paid for, they were justified, but you're still going to get out of sorts with the Lord. You're going to move from him. He'll never move from you. It's kind of like my relationship with my daughter. Okay, I'm going to pick on my daughter now instead of my wife. My daughter and I can have sweet fellowship like we did yesterday. We rode in a tractor together for a couple of hours making paths for the horses. And it's sweet fellowship. But if I had suddenly said something ugly to her, let's just put her in the position of being the Lord, okay, then that sweet fellowship would get broken. And I might need to say, sweetie, I, I apologize for my attitude. It stunk. And then we're brought back into sweet communion. Do you all understand? And that's part of what goes on in this time of sanctification. He who has begun that good work in you will complete it at the, until the day of Jesus Christ. He's, that means he's going to keep working on you till you die. Or till you're raptured, if that comes earlier. Is Kathy here? She goes, I'm going to get raptured. She always tells me. <laughs> she make you, well, yeah. Right. And then God's final removal of sin from the lives of saints is what I think of as glorification. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, and I've got sufferings, y'all. I'm not going to go into them all. you got your own sufferings, Okay. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be re revealed in us. They're not going to matter anymore. That's what that is saying. So it's justification, sanctification, and glorification. You are an unfinished product project. Guys, the Christian life isn't a sprint. It is a marathon. People with my personality want to do the sprint and get it over with. That's not how it works. It is a marathon of day after day after day after day of you getting up. Say, Lord, I confess to you my known sins and my unknown sins. And Lord, do a work in and through me today. God, Holy Spirit, guide me. And you will find that as you do that, you will desire to read God's Word. It won't be a checklist that needs to get notched off. Some of y'all have trouble reading. You know what? We now have cell phones that read to us. You don't even have to read God's Word. It can be read to you and all kind, probably you can select the voice that you want to read to. As I said before, it's an inside job before it comes, an outside work. He will work in you before He works through you. And it's through conviction. He shows you things that need to change in your life, that need to be made anew. And He does it gradually. The growing, I say, is growing, and it's gradual, and it's guaranteed, Okay. So part of the big idea that I want to say today, Devin, the big idea, but Devin, be patient with yourself. Devin, look at me. Be patient with yourself. God's not done with you yet. Okay? Favor needs to be patient. You think, well, yeah, but we want you to hurry up because we don't like all the way you are. Well, God's not finished with me yet. I am under construction just like this place has been. He's not through with any of us yet till we take our last breath. So what's your part? Stay in fellowship. Have the relationship. 
Pursue Jesus and the joy will follow. That's my counsel to you this week. Don't think of, well, I've got to do this and got to do that. Say, Lord, I just want to know you more. Well, how do we increase our faith? The Bible tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So you say, Lord, I want to fall in love with you again. Help me, Lord, this week to experience your joy. Let me know the joy again of your salvation, okay? And I put here, you're wondering, well, Pastor, are you saying I don't have to do anything? I thought I had to pray harder, read my Bible, come to church, and do holy stuff. Holy stuff like cooking cookies. Those things come by resting in Him. You will do these things, but now you're going to do them not because you have to, because you want to, and because you get to. And that's what's happened to me. Prayer isn't a burden. Oh, it's a joy, okay? That's why I'm so covetous of my time on that zero turn, because the rest of the time, I'm so busy. I don't have time for my mind just to go and just go into a spirit of prayer, right? So this week, pursue Him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, don't worry about the little stuff you there that you can't control. I'm not going to say your name on tape because God's not through with him yet either, okay? He ain't through with him yet. The story's not up. We're all under construction. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we have this assurance from your word that, that you are doing a work in and through us. And I pray that, pray it for those in this room that I know want that work to be done. Lord, they want your joy. And so, Lord, I thank you for bringing them today, and Lord, for hearing this piece of your scripture that you began that work in us, and you will complete it. We just need to submit. So, Lord, we give you ourselves again today, in Jesus' name, amen.